I have to ask, so happy for you is the wedding um, genre meets romance, meets queer literature, meets the thriller, the murder mystery. I mean, there's a lot going on that I love. Yeah. So Celia, how did you go from Under the Rainbow to So Happy for You? Just one question for you first. What, yeah. what makes you say romance is um, part of this book? Oh, I love it. Spinning the, turning the table. <laughs> I, I've just never thought no, of it no, that no. way. Oh, so I'm curious. I think, yeah, I actually, I see the romance in, um, well, I think with the wedding genre, I tend to think of romance. Go into the chapel and we're gonna get married. Go into the chapel and we're gonna get married. Gee, I really love you and we're gonna get married. Go into the chapel of love. Hi, welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I'm really happy because this is actually a repeat guest. Um, we actually, no, this is the first repeat guest. Sorry. This is actually Ooh, a landmark mm, moment, a repeat guest yes. of a book club author. I should specify just in case anyone else out there is like, I was a repeat guest. Um, <laughs> so we are joined again with Celia Lasky, who is the author of Under the Rainbow, which if you didn't hear it, listen to our wonderful Under the Rainbow discussion, um, that Married to Pippi was also a part of, who's my guest co-host. And some of my students, they got to ask questions. It was wonderful. Okay, so type that in as you're listening to us right now. But finish this episode first because Celia just came out with the novel So Happy For You, which we're going to talk about its divergent pathway of genre, but also some similarities. I think we can say thematically. Um, I'm really teasing Celia's voice here, <laughs> but um, she was a, Under the Rainbow was a finalist for the 2020 Center for Fiction First Novel Prize. Her work has also appeared in Garnica, the Minnesota Review, Day One, and elsewhere. Oh, elsewhere. <laughs> elsewhere. That should best, actually be the best one. The, the best magazine. <laughs> um, she has an MFA from the University of New Mexico. She is Zooming in with us from Los Angeles. Um, her wife, we just discussed, is in a sweltering heat monstrosity in New York City. And she's with her dog, Whiskey, Celia, right? Is Whiskey near He's you? He's right here. Yeah. Hey, okay. Whiskey. Well, thank you so much, Celia, for coming back. Thank you for having me. So right away, actually, a guest of ours has a really exciting um quote on your front cover so mm. micah never ever friend to the podcast um, oh micah's been on yes yeah. yes so micah awesome. discussed these violent delights oh mm -hmm. god i so love listen that to that episode. so much love that book love micah yeah, yeah micah's wonderful um he, he, yeah yeah so he writes that it's a firecracker of a book which okay <laughs> i actually might alter no offense micah but i think it's actually dynamite <laughs> <laughs> and not just firecracker, like literally an explosive <laughs> landfill area. <laughs> so I have to ask, so happy for you is the wedding um, genre meets romance, meets queer literature, meets the thriller, the murder mystery. I mean, there's a lot going on that I love. Yeah. So Celia, how did you go from under the rainbow to so happy for you? 
just one question for you first. What yeah. what makes you say romance is um, part of this book? Oh, I love it. Spinning the, turning the table. I, I've just never thought no, of it no, that no. way. Oh, so I'm curious. I think, yeah, I actually, I see the romance in, um, well, I think with the wedding genre, I tend to think of romance. So with um, right. our main couple, uh, Ellie and... Kevin. Uh, Kevin, but it's, yeah. yeah. There's a whole <laughs> joking moment that it's actually Kayvon, but it's actually Kevin. Right. Um, and I think also with our protagonist and her romance with her girlfriend. Like I saw okay. a lot of doubling romances happening throughout the novel. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. But yeah. no, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that they didn't really know how to classify this one, um, which, you know, I think is kind of fun, but I'm wondering mm -hmm. if that's like, going to be a problem, <laughs> you know, no, with like no, no, sales no. or like, cause people aren't going to know what to think about it. Um, but yeah, what was your actual question? Oh, now? no, no. Just, oh, I forget. just like the timeline from mm. under the rainbows, uh, publication to then developing so happy for you. Oh, gotcha. Well, I started working on so happy for you before under the rainbow even came out. Um, because I was editing under the rainbow, like with my publisher for three ish years. So and there was a lot of like time in between when I was like waiting to hear back from my editor, sometimes it would be like six months or something that I was like, waiting to hear back from my editor. So I had to start working on something new just to like, keep myself going. So yeah, I was like sort of concurrently working on the early draft of so happy for you while I was like finishing up edits for under the rainbow. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I feel like a lot of the two books are so different, you know, I feel like Under the Rainbow was a much like warmer sort of like leaves you feeling good kind of book. And then this So Happy for You is sort of like, fuck everyone, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, and they're so different um, in style, too, because, you know, Under the Rainbow was linked stories. Um, and this is a much more straightforward novel. So I feel like a lot of people would think that it would have been a lot harder to go from like writing short stories into a straightforward novel. But I actually found the opposite was true that now that I've written both, it's actually much harder to write a novel comprised of all these linked stories than it is to just have one main character that you're basically following for the whole book. So that was a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, want to know are you such a major fan of the thriller psychological thriller especially genre that I would say was really popular five years ago mm. or there were so many of those novels right I think Gone Girl really ushered in a lot of those especially ah. female protagonist novels mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of questioning the authorial voice of the character mm. right um what is that well girl on the train um See how many we can all name. Uh, <laughs> but I think a lot of, oh, In a Dark, Dark Wood by Ruth uh, yep. Ware. That's the one I instantly connected with your novel was In a Dark, Dark Wood. Oh, so did I. Because of that bachelorette element with the party that happens. And see, I haven't even read that book. And Ooh. I ha haven't even read most thrillers because um, it wasn't really my intention necessarily when I started writing this book. Um, and then when we went to sell it, we got the feedback that um, a lot of editors felt like it needed to go more 
in the thriller direction. And so that was when I basically took the whole second half of the novel, which had been like, you know, sort of verging on thriller elements and just really, really ramped that up. And um, at that point, I was lucky that like, we did have some queer thrillers that were in existence at that point. So that was when I really started to study like queer thrillers. Um, but I can't say that um, before reading these, these queer thrillers that I ever read thrillers as a genre in general. Like I've never read Gone Girl. I've never read like any of these. So I probably should remedy that. <laughs> I don't, well, I mean, I love Ruth Ware. Um, but uh, also The Woman in the Window. I really like oh, yeah, that yeah. novel. Heard of that um, but I'm assuming when you say queer thrillers, are you saying another like former my, guest my, like PJ Vernon? Yes, PJ oh. Vernon, Micah, um, or even like crime fiction, like essay, um, is it essay Cosby? Um, their, their book. Um, there, I have a whole like list that I wrote for Electric Lit about like, um, queer books that could be classified as like thriller, crime, mystery, you know, any of them that have some sort of suspense to them, um, that I basically read all of them leading up to the publication of So Happy for You to try and, you know, study and learn what I could. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll let Mary, I know Mary <laughs> has a lot of, especially coming from her true crime work she does on the podcast, I'm sure. Oh, mm -hmm. also, we're gonna have to be very careful not to spoil things because your book is hot <laughs> off know. the presses, right? We can't do our deep dive approach, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll have but to I do like, like an IG crime. Live eventually. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is part of our book club discussion. So everyone mm -hmm. will should be joining us on IG Live after this comes out. So, okay, get your hands though and read this at the beach. It is a really good mm. queer thriller. I think mm. queer thriller, that makes sense, Celia. I like that. Queer thriller, <laughs> you know me, I'm adding in every genre that I see. But okay, back to Mary. Mary and the true crime <laughs> element. And I'm afraid to like have the true crime moment because I feel like it's going to, spoil the book for people because <laughs> I don't want them to like know too much um but I mean it kind of in lines with that I guess um I mean for me one of my favorite character is the narrator Robin like mm -hmm. I love her I was telling Andrew earlier I was like I don't know how Celia Lasky does this how she creates these characters where I am just like yeah that's a real person I don't know who that is but yeah that's a real person and I want to keep keep reading and that's you know? so funny that you say you liked her so much because so many people do not. Um, so many readers have hated Robin. And that was actually feedback that I had to um, sort of incorporate um, with like some of my drafts was ton even toning her down more than she even is in the current form of the book. <laughs> wow. See, I would be curious to know what Robin was like before. <laughs> Just like even more intense, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, even more unlikable, um, really even more unrelenting in her, you know, discussions with people where they're disagreeing. Uh, yeah, and I think, I think this like sort of gets into one of the further questions that I had seen in your email, so I can address it later, but um, that technique of Robin being older and like looking back on the events, that was another thing that I added to sort of try and not soften her character, but just make her seem really self-aware. Like she's judging herself so much that the reader almost doesn't have to. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what I like about her. It's the fact like she can say something like or overreact to something and be annoyed with her, but then have her be like, yeah, I know I was being a bitch. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah, where it's like, oh, OK, I'm glad you're aware. So like it like for me, that made her more likable personally. Good. Yeah, I agree with Mary. I never found her unlikable. And I think it's her earnestness. I'm glad she wears her heart on her sleeve. She's willing to be self-aware, like Mary said. I'm not sure how willing she is to forgive easily, but that's a whole other, that's, yeah. you know, you can be self-aware and not forgive easily. Um, that's but true. I like that she kind of creates boundaries, but then lets them slip when it's, her best friend, Ellie. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I mean, we're not going to get into, <laughs> you know, the major drama that happens, but I think we can tease that, you know, Ellie's getting married. Robin becomes her maid of honor. And then um, a bunch of Michigas or just real um, <laughs> testing of Ellie and the bridesmaids and bridegroom, right? Um, or what do you call? A man of a man who's part of a bridesmaid party. Oh yeah, I don't know if they have a word for that. I, I would think you could still call him a bridesmaid. I mean, yeah. What's what's gender? You know. <laughs> yeah. Let's just include it. Yeah. yeah. It sounds okay. So um, I like that. There's so much built up of like knowing that things are falling apart, but a lot of it seems like it's part that you're in on the joke in a way, like even Robin has to continue to question herself. Like, mm -hmm. is she just making too much out of the situation? Like, is she just not lighthearted? Should she just let her guard down? And then you realize, oh, she's she's onto something. Something's amiss <laughs> yeah. with this wedding. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's such, I, like everyone out there, it is, Mary and I said, it is the novel we needed right now. It's incredible, well, Celia. Like, it really is. It's, <laughs> I've been, like, <laughs> proclaiming far and wide your novel title. I'm like, oh, get so happy you so for you. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that you like it because I feel like people who were really big fans of Under the Rainbow, um, I, I was, like, worried that they might not like so happy for you because, like I said, tonally, the two books are just so different. You know, I was afraid that people would be put off by sort of, like, the... Um, the harshness of Robin's character and, you know, sort of like the, the takedown of the wedding industry, whereas I feel like Under the Rainbow was very like positivity type stuff, you know? Mm. So I'm really glad to hear that there are people who have really liked both books. I mean, from a technical side, I feel like that just shows your versatility as a writer. Like, Thank you, you know, I feel like you're taught, especially in like creative writing, if you go for that as a major you know, you're taught like you got to nail down your genre, you got to figure out your genre where it's like the thought of even trying to dip your toes into another genre or to cross genres. It's mm. like, why would you do that? Mm. But it just for like me, you're pigeonholing. Yeah, for me, I, I'm very drawn to really switching it up with each book, because why would I want to write like the same version of the same book over and over again like my book after this is basically a lesbian rom-com because I was really interested in um you know peering into that genre um so yeah I think it's it's how you have fun as a writer is to like try different things every time yeah 
See, the romance genre, the romance genre is in Celia Lasky's mind. (laughs) It was there. It was there all along. No, no. But um, true, true. Well, and you know, I think because Mary and I were always why we always love bringing, you know, those who don't fit into the one genre or are creating a pastiche all the time. Like, okay, every time I pick up such and such author's book it's probably going to have the same premise, but just a different setting or the characters change slightly. Like Sally Rooney. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm not mentioning names, but uh, (laughs) no, and again, I think, right, you kind of know what you get. It's those, what I call the airport books. Mm. Like, well, hopefully so happy for you at the airport. But what I mean is like- No one should ever be sad if their book is at the airport. No, that's amazing. (laughs) But you know what I mean? The like slim paperbacks and- they all fit nicely with usually beautified people on the cover. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, who is that romance novelist? Vic mm-hmm. Quinn? I don't know. I think I just made up I an author. Know. I thought Vic you Andrews? I think that is second. an author. But okay, well, we're going to do more. It seems like I need to bring on a romance author eventually. <laughs> but Celia, you you count as a romance author in, in when you we, you come on for your next book. But no pressure yeah, yeah. to come back yet. Uh, <laughs> well, let's hope the book even gets published. Oh, it will get published. Oh, trust me. But you know, I'm thinking so much of how cinematic. I think, especially so happy for you. It had such to me. My mm-hmm. opinion, it had more of a cinematic flair, I thought, than Under the Rainbow. A lot of people have told me that. Really? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I could really see it playing out on a screen. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just how much we see thrillers in TV shows and films. Mm-hmm. But, um, again, I think Under the Rainbow should be a play. That's my opinion. Um, <laughs> but I had seen a few years ago, wasn't there that film, Ready or Not?, that um, was where the bride, yeah, Mary remembers, the bride has to like survive the night because the family oh, yes. thinks they're cursed. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I, I ended Which up thing? watching that movie um, when someone like mentioned it to me as a comp and I was like, oh yeah, this is like pretty close. <laughs> yeah, but definitely, again, um, I love though how that plays on the screen, but it's also very campy, like really yeah. campy at the end. Um, yeah. We have some bodies yeah. exploding. <laughs> it's kind I'm of like Hocus Pocus. I love camp. Oh yeah, uh, sorry everyone, if you didn't see so happy for you. <laughs> oh, you mean ready or not? Yeah. Or no, sorry, sorry. See, I'm already manifesting a film version. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, well, ready or not. I hope that's not. coming. I hope it's coming, Celia. You deserve Reese it. Reese Witherspoon. Oh yeah. This book. Right? Reese Witherspoon. book club. Let's do it. Okay. Well, I've been told something is in the works with um, the adaptation of So Happy For You. So hopefully that thing is going to happen. Good. Okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I like though, especially the academic angle of So Happy For You, I thought was just a really um, ingenious way to mm-hmm. critique the marriage institution without Mm. being didactic. Like at no time did I say, oh, like we're getting hit on the head about Robin just hates the marriage institution. (laughs) And because it all made sense. She's getting her PhD in women's gender sexuality studies at some Long Island University. Not sure. (laughs) Maybe one that's like 10 minutes from me. Uh, (laughs) Could be. 
<laughs> Could be. You never know. Let me just say though, the women's gender department, I sent them that I'm interviewing you and they were so excited. They're like, oh, we could try to use this for publicity. Oh, cool. Yeah. Maybe they could assign it to some students. Oh, shout mm-hmm. out to the professors and graduate students. That's a sign so happy for you. We're going to make <laughs> it happen, Celia. Love Don't it. worry. Love um, but I was just really curious. Why do you think that was where you needed to go? Like, Like, what did the academic route allow for you to explore in Robin? Okay, hold on to that question because we'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, well, I mean, Robin is a person who so badly wants everyone to agree with her, right? Mm -hmm. And what is a perfect career for a person like that? It's a professor, you know, because you're basically standing up at the front of the room saying, agree with me or else I'll give you a bad grade, you know? Um, So, yeah, I think most of the professors, I don't know, I guess some professors encourage, um, you know, difference of thought and questioning things, but there are other professors where you can really tell that they've sort of got an agenda, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think Robin is probably one of those agenda professors. And also I was like fresh out of a graduate program when I started writing this book. Um, and I was teaching as part of that graduate program. It was at the University of New Mexico. And um, I was doing basically exactly what I said Robin was doing. I was teaching my composition students. So like 18 year olds, fresh into college, I was teaching them about composition, but I was doing it through intersectional feminism because we were allowed to choose like the topic. And I was like, if these kids aren't being forced to learn about intersectional feminism, I'm just gonna force it upon them in this composition class. Um, And I was very surprised by how resistant most of my students were to that material Um, because, you know, we just think the youth is like going to save us and the youth is like so progressive. Um, But it was actually terrifying how not progressive a lot of my students were. And um, it was really heartbreaking at times, you know, like sometimes I would walk out of my classroom and go like cry in the bathroom because the kids had just like broken my heart so hard about how they, you know, just were refusing to see things from like an empathetic uh, point of view. So I was definitely channeling a lot of my experiences from my MFA too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just love though that you pinpoint Well, composition too, it's one of those courses that's required. So Mm -hmm. like I've had that experience because I taught composition um, or writing, you know, same equivalent. And then um, taught like the more selective 
majors, Broadway musical, for example, selective, mm-hmm. very passionate students. Shout yeah. out to them. But I also loved what I learned, as I'm sure you did, Celia, with the composition students, which is sometimes when you have those challenges, it actually really makes you think of your teaching methods. I'm like, okay, um, they're not going to reflect everything. And again, this is my belief in pedagogy, which is I don't want them to just repeat back or do that. It's called it the banking method, which is um, where the professor disseminates all of their information in their head to their students, almost like you're doing a brain transplant. Like, mm-hmm. okay, Andrew's brain is now transplanted to Mary, you know, mm-hmm. or Celia. Like, no, I'm, you know, Mary knows. And I think, you know, Celia now I'm all, that's why we're here. I am all for us disagreeing or even just having differences of crit- analyses, critiques. That's where I think we grow and we mm-hmm. evolve, but I'm sorry you had that experience. Um, and I you also- have a lot to teach Robin. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think Robin was, it seems like she's really questioning her career, like just questioning why she even went to get a PhD. Hmm. Like I could tell she's um, she was very comfortable at that modeling of the professor. Like she thrived at trying to just learn what a teacher was telling her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that definitely exists. And, you know, there's a reason why a lot of PhD students are, um, you know, usually high achievers in courses. But Mm -hmm. when it comes to their dissertation, where they have to come up with their new ideas, it is the toughest stage because you're kind of unlearning what you were taught, which is to always, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's. Like now this is your work. This is your voice. So, Mm -hmm. and her dissertation has to be really sexy as we learn. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) That was, oh, when that happened in my audio, I was just cracking up. I loved it. (laughs) That was one of my favorite moments, honestly, because I was like, first of all, I love the dynamic of this dissertation advisor. Like, I just love the personality that you created for her. And then just to throw that on top of it. And like for Robin, like, again, had this been any other of her dissertation advisees, I feel like that would have gone over a little bit more smoothly or would have been like, yeah, of course you're going to suggest that. But for Robin, I felt like, I don't know, like, it was obvious that it was going to strike a chord with her and be like, well, why the hell does it need to be sexy? Like, I don't understand. That's right. (laughs) Well, good. I wasn't sure if that was going to come across as realistic at all, but it just seemed fun. So that's why I went there with it. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. and I've definitely heard so many different um, critiques of dissertations. And I thought that was like a very um, more supportive one than others that actually happen in real life. Yeah. Not with me. I have a very good team of support (laughs) just for (laughs) you all to know. But, um, and the sexiness I thought really showed that marketability of, Mm -hmm. okay, well, you're going to be one of those, um, your dissertation is going to mirror, I can't remember the name of the other PhD candidate who's working on her dissertation. Oh yeah, you know, I don't think I can either. (laughs) That's okay. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one who forgets characters, but um, no offense to that PhD candidate, but she kind of like bought her way in. It's implied or her family had a lot to do with her getting in, but she 
creates the sexy dissertation. She already has a publisher um, and she's basically going to be on the on the major news outlets. So mm -hmm. it's like, OK, this is where the advisor is coming from is I mm -hmm. want you to be a high profile academic. Right. Um, which I think now we call a public scholar, but <laughs> which I'm trying to do with the podcast, but not in that, <laughs> you know, Mary and I are not going to sell our souls in every no. aspect. <laughs> you know, we could, we could try to get views easily, but we're not going to pull the punches. <laughs> well, listen, you do what you got to do. Thank you, Celia. <laughs> Even if we have to rent a bus just like in the book I'm not going to reveal what happens <laughs> but you know we're not going to like rent a bus and have a stripper pole you know Mary we could do that but <laughs> that would be a whole different ivory tower event. I don't oh, know yeah. what that would be um <laughs> okay so I think you know as we're wrapping up which I don't want to end but again I want everyone to be in so much suspense mm -hmm. um I'm so glad you answered the ready or not question just because I don't know why it was calling to me that and knives out actually, mm. which I actually enjoy knives out a little more for the narrative. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Just cause I, in my opinion, ready or not's campiness didn't, it didn't do what I thought it was going to do. It wasn't like Rocky horror show campy in my opinion. It was more, um, uh, hmm. sloppy. I agree. I agree. Okay. I felt you that know, I way. Try to be, I try to be yep. kind. Yep. I try. And see, but, I can barely yeah. even remember the plot of Knives Out, but yeah, I remember we'll I was interested. You know, yeah. I remember I liked it. It's kind of like a clue, the clue board game. Yeah. Who did yeah. it? You know, everyone's got a motive, but yeah, who's who done actually it? Exactly. did it? And yeah. that's yeah. what I love about So Happy For You is every moment I'm trying to keep a scorecard to really figure out what's unraveling. Like, you know, who did what? Like, who's this missing woman in uh, Malibu who now mm. her poster's not existing anymore? Okay, who's hiding this crime? It's like, what I love is there's so many um, signposts, literally, of mm. us trying to figure out the path of whoever, you know, is causing the crime to happen, the mischief, the murder. We don't know if it's a murder. Um, mm -hmm. I love that you said it in Los Angeles, which is rare. Like we don't always have Los Angeles novels. Mm -hmm. No, I feel like it's sort of half and half because we've, we've got yeah. Robin who lives in New York and then she yeah. comes to Malibu for the wedding. So yeah, it's, it's sort of literally half and half, which, yeah. um, you know, makes sense for me because I was a New Yorker for like over a decade and then now I live in LA, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you told us your honest thoughts about the LA versus New York City debate in the first yes. episode <laughs> we I had say? with you. Oh, see? No, it's all good. Don't worry. Celia's yeah. like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, like, oh, crap. <laughs> is this going to be used against me? No, no, no. No, you said something like, right, Mary, you can correct me just because it's been a little while. But I remember you saying something like you love the lifestyle of LA because of the nature and kind of more of the spread out atmosphere, but it also still has all of the New York City um, elements Stuff. of like culture, yeah. arts, mm -hmm. um, and that New York was really starting to exhaust you. Yes, yeah, okay. that sounds Good. right. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's right, everyone. But in a way, like, you know, in a way, I kind of saw what you were talking about. Um, Ellie was having those moments of 
not really fitting into Brooklyn culture. Yeah. She's yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we have to, of course, just get into your thoughts on the marriage market of the institution <laughs> mm-hmm. of marriage. Uh huh. Because I'm so curious, you know, about your, not just your personal critique, but just the critique that you think starts to get explored in your novel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how did you know, okay, yeah, this is really going to start to be a nuanced discussion of critiquing marriage? Hmm. Well, it's funny because I am married. Um, and after I finished writing this book, I was sort of like, I think I regret that we got married, like not because of anything to do with my wife. I still like love her so much, but just it seemed like we had done the thing that I was like critiquing in this book. And I was basically like, you know, poking a lot of fun of Um, it it seems like a a basic bitch move to get (laughs) married, you know, Um, and we didn't have like a big wedding or anything. We just went to City Hall and then had like a potluck party. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that we kept it low key, but there was definitely like a big part of me that was like, oh, if we had like been having these discussions after I had written this book, I, I don't think I would have like wanted mm-hmm. to get married. It just seems so like ass- assimilationist. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I def- basically just wanted to like look at the marriage industry, the wedding industry and shit on it for 250 pages, which, you know, like for me, that's very fun. Um, and I think there was one of your questions in your email where you where you were asking, like, are you trying to sort of mirror something about cults with mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the wedding marriage stuff. And for sure, I think like most people who have big weddings are in a cult. they are fully cult members they've been brainwashed into thinking that they have to do all these things exactly the same way you know like you've got to wear a big white dress your dad has to give you away you have to walk down an aisle you know like you have to pay fifty thousand for a catering hall that most people don't remember the food because they were drunk Yep. You know, you, you have a- I, I, but I've had good wedding experiences again, because I know the people I've gone to their wedding recently <laughs> listen to this. I had a good experience at your wedding. Don't worry. Well, And that's what I've had to tell all of my friends um, throughout the course of promoting this book is like, FYI, I've never hated anybody's yeah. wedding that I've gone to. Most of my friends, I've been like, so super happy for them. And I've had a great time at their wedding, you know, so like, I hate the wedding industry, but it doesn't mean that every wedding I've gone to, I've just been sitting there being like, fuck this. I hate this, you know? (laughs) So I had to like clarify that for a lot of my friends because, you know, they like hear me doing promotional stuff and they're like, did you hate my wedding? (laughs) Like, you know, and I'm like, no, no, it's just like the overall industry-wide. It's the theory. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that's what I love that you, like, I feel like there was that distinction. Like I, in some ways, I was like, I don't think Robin hates marriage because of what marriage is. I think she hates the institution of it and how the wedding industry and the government and all these things that you discuss in your book come into play when two people are like, hey, we love each other and we just want to be together until we die. Like, that's right. it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And celebrate that, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, and I think what really... um spoke to me at the wedding I went to 
recently is like the after party and like you I could tell how excited the couple was to just like welcome their friends to a dive bar in the area and like to me that was just the it was amazing like the music going and um when it wasn't just the traditional elements and like my friends are not um traditional like they Mm. are very artsy and one is into Marxist philosophy so you know (laughs) it was it was a good time but um you know as we wrap up Again, I never want to leave our conversation, Celia. It's like, <laughs> I'm always learning so much. Um, so you mentioned the cults. I also was really, there's a lot of, I think you don't have to answer this because again, I want everyone listening to be in suspense, mm-hmm. but there's some really interesting, you mentioned the flashbacks, especially Robin, we go back to her childhood some mm-hmm. traumatic, like rooted trauma that she's working through. Mm-hmm. Um, but even at the beginning, and I said to Mary, I'm like, wait, Mary, I'm on the beach and I'm rereading the beginning of Celia's novel after listening to it, just because I was like trying to see, okay, am I back in, you know, getting back and oriented with the novel. Yeah, yeah. But I realized that your first sentence literally questions time in your novel. It was almost like a call me Ishmael Moby Dick moment (laughs) where you literally begin with, and hopefully this isn't copyrighted. This is all for (laughs) educational purposes, but yes, yes, thank you, Mary. Uh, (laughs) If you want to know the story of how my best friend and I ended up trying to kill each other, I should probably start with the night she asked me to be her maid of honor. Um, I thought what was interesting is right after that, in the next paragraph, it says, anyway, it was a number of years ago now. And I literally bypassed that line. And I'm like, wait, Mary, it was a number of years ago. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so like literally, we're reading a novel through mm-hmm. Robin's eyes of uh, events that happened years ago. Yeah. I think when I was reading, I was thinking it was happening like a year ago or mm-hmm. two years mm-hmm. ago. But I'm like, oh, maybe it's 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Is Robin now in this really futuristic time or Mm. even some elements of your novel. What I love is again, I'm not going to throw another genre on, (laughs) but (laughs) it it had almost of the sci-fi element of questioning time. I'm like, wait, Mm. is this the marriage institution in 2022 or is this the marriage institution in 2060? Right. Just because it seemed really, um, it seemed advanced with what was happening, but also at the same times, like a right wing backwardness had took the country over. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think a near future or an alternate reality, like both of those phrases would work to describe um, sort of the time and like the setting. Yeah. There's the some book. hands, handmaids elements definitely yes. yeah. going on with a, uh, why marriage is starting to become so popular in this current moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. with everything happening in the news recently, it starts yeah. to seem even more <laughs> applicable. Yeah. 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 I mean, you talk so much. I'm so glad that you go there with the novel, which is why I know I would not be worried at all, Celia, about the certain niche of the genre, because you speak about social, social political elements in such, like in the queer thriller realm, it happens, but I've never seen it done in this way. Like where you're actually talking about um, a woman's right to choose 
with her body while it's mm-hmm. also mixed with psychological thriller. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. this is really, there's a lot happening. Like I even told Celia, it's an allegory in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, all of you out there, look that word up. Uh, <laughs> but um, Yeah, if you're not an English major, look that word up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or if you've never read Nathaniel Hawthorne, Hawthorne's The Birthmark. Um, but with the cult element, I do have to ask. So it does seem like you said alternate reality. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking there's a certain um, political cult-like behavior that I was mm-hmm. thinking a lot about as I was mm-hmm. reading this novel. Is that something you're, you know, was um, in the back you, of your mind? What do you mean by political cult-like behavior? Well, I think that it happened with the um, really right-wing Christian elements that seep into the novel Mm. with like why Ellie is so persistent in getting married Mm. and why Robin might be rejecting a lot of um, what she's seeing around her. Like thinking, Mm. okay, why aren't you more progressive? Like, you know, we went to a liberal arts college. Don't you know, like you've read the text. Why can't you Mm. apply the theory to your life, Mm. right? And I think though, the more political cult elements came with the and again I don't want to give it away but I'm not going to give it away Celia don't worry but (laughs) came with just um games I'll call them games that happen in the wedding that um really make you as a reader unsettled and you're like wait why is this happening why are these people going through with it it to me it reads like you can start to see the mob mentality of a Jonestown Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, why did people follow Jim Jones? Why did people follow a certain person who incited a mob on January 6th? Yeah. Or Marilyn that Manson to me is where. One. Or not, Jesus. Manson. Charles Manson. Charles Manson. Yeah. So, like, that's where I saw uh, a lot of this socio political theorization gotcha. happening. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of, you know, people that, people are drawn to and follow in politics are very similar to like, you know, cult leaders and all that other stuff. It's all like very connected. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, oh yeah. this novel, uh, but see, we've gone for about 40 minutes and we talked about, we got to a lot of topics, Celia, without ruining <laughs> any, <laughs> any, you know, special element of a surprise. So yes. everyone mm. get your well, hands I feel like sometimes I even accidentally do it. So I'm very proud of you guys for not doing it. Well, I mean, I think the one, if we ruined what happens at the end, you know, in Malibu, I'll put it that way, um, on a certain altitude, we would be in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) Then everything is basically ruined. We're not going to do that. Um, And what's good is now everyone's like, what altitude are they talking about? Mm, mm -hmm. Never know. You never know. Interest is peaked. There we go. (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) Well, please get your hands on So Happy For You. Also, oh, Celia, can you shout out the um, reader of your audiobook who does such a great job? Yeah, it was Kristen Shea who voiced Tegan in Under the Rainbow. And I liked the tone um, so much for that Tegan character. And I thought it was very applicable to Robin also. So I asked if we could use Kristen and apparently she was available. So I'm so happy that, so happy, haha, um, <laughs> that it all worked out. 
<laughs> yeah. And I listened to it in two and a half days. That's wow. how riveting. Mm-hmm. And well, I know I Mary it reading down. it too. Like this is a fast page turner. Like, yeah, thank you. Celia, it was definitely, yeah. this is so good. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Celia. Thanks listeners. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Um, don't worry. Mary will be back again. And Celia, no rush, but I think we'll see you in our near future. I hope uh, so. Good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you two okay. so much for having me back. Of course. Bye everyone. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Welcome to the fall season. The Ivory Tower Boiler Room is a public humanities podcast where we interview writers, scholars, performers, and artists. Episodes air on Mondays. I am Andrew Rimby, the executive director. I'm so happy to welcome my team, Mary DePippi, our chief contributor, Kimberly Dallas, our editor, and an amazing fall group of interns. Thank you to this team. Please follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Easy to remember. Our Twitter is at Ivory Boiler Room. And we have a whole new design for our Patreon. It is called the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe because you're joining us and eavesdropping on our conversations that are unedited videos of all of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes as if you're eavesdropping in a cafe overhearing the conversation. Well, talking about overhearing a conversation, hi, Mary. Hello, Andrew, and hello, everyone. I'm Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime and Academia, a podcast, well, a true crime podcast that is focused mainly on the crimes committed by and to those in the field of academia. Episodes air every Tuesday at noon. You can follow True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia and on Twitter at TC in Academia because Twitter hates extra characters, as we all know. And as Andrew alluded to earlier, we have a Patreon and True Crime and Academia has exclusive bonus episodes for subscribers. As a true crime enthusiast, I don't necessarily like to pigeonhole my true crime interests. So over on the Patreon, I cover some of the more high profile cases not related to academia, such as the murder of John Benet Ramsey and the case of Casey Anthony. So if you want access to videos like that, go over to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber. Thank you all for joining us. And here's to an amazing fall season. Whoop, Bye. Whoop. Bye everyone. Bye.